Hi, this is Kate Fairweather with Disaster Tales Podcast, and I'm here with Lindsay Wilson from Home on the Strange Podcast, and we have been doing episodes on the Waco siege when the Branch Davidian was trapped by the ATF, and then they had a long standoff that went for months. And this is the last part of that series. If you want to hear the part one, you need to go to Home on the Strange podcast at... We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're pretty much on every major podcast network. So just search for Home on the Strange. Right. You'll see us. Like We've got a little house with a spooky ghost and a mothman on it. and <laughs> It's pretty easy to spot. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool logo. I like it. Oh, thank you. I like your logo, too. Oh, Simple. thanks. <laughs> Very <So>, easy. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you have listened to episode one and you haven't listened to episode two, you need to go to Disaster Tales Podcast, which you can find on Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and I don't know if we have anybody else yet or not. We're working on that. But you can check there because you definitely need to hear the first two episodes before you listen to this one. So. Oh, yeah. None of this is going to make sense if you haven't listened to the first two. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Well, here we go. Okay, 745, the teams are taken to the locations on neighboring ranch properties that adjoin the Davidian compound. So they're on their neighbor's property getting Uh, ready to come in. I don't think the neighbors were happy about this. Because this (laughs) is Texas and nobody goes on nobody's property in Texas. Yeah, especially if you're going to take guns away from people. Well, not anybody in the government, especially. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The agents at the undercover house across the street are observing the compound for unusual activity at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And unarmed, the unarmed undercover agent, the one that's been going over there and talking to David Koresh, he goes into the Branch Davidian compound to meet with Koresh at 7.45 in the morning. I go, hey, I, I know these guys in uniform are all over your property, but I'm not but, with them, I promise. Yeah, no, I just wanted to come <laughs> over, see what's going on, attend the service, and then, you oh know. Oh, my goodness. Hey, did you see all these ATF guys? I'm not yeah, one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we know they're out there. We, we're ready for them. So... <laughs> And they are. Oh, yeah, for sure. So about 8.30, the Herald Tribune knows something's going on, and they send out five media vehicles, and they're circling the compound. They're driving Mm. around in circles around this place, and they're spotted by the the agents in the house across the street. Oh, goodness. At 9 o'clock, there's a cameraman from KWTX that's trying to get out to the compound, and he gets lost. Yeah, and... and, um... So, like, th- this part of the story is pretty funny to me because, like we said, the ATF let the media know mm-hmm. beforehand. They're like, front row seats, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and they're trying to find it. And this Davidian in his car drives by, and the cam- the news people aren't familiar with who uh, these people are, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know any of these people by name or anything like that. Like, they've never really been out there. So not knowing that he was a Branch Davidian and a follower of Koresh, they're like, hey, where's this raid happening at? Where's Mount Carmel? And, you know, they're like, well, it's there. We got to go. And so they go back and they tell Koresh, and they have a long time to get ready. Right. They have 45 minutes. 
Oh. Um, it's yeah, a long time. The the guy that that comes up behind the cameraman because the cameraman's out there trying to figure out where he's going. This guy comes up in a yellow car that has postal service painted on it, and that's exactly what happens. He says, "Hey, where is this Mount Carmel place?" And <laughs> he tells him, and then he leaves and goes straight to Koresh and said, "There's media out there. Something's and, happening." Yeah, yeah. So they know. So mm-hmm. they're getting ready inside the compound. Okay. At 9.05, the undercover agent comes out of the compound, and they decide that they're going to go ahead and proceed and serve the search warrant. And they okay. have a search warrant for, for the guns. They have a search warrant for Koresh. There's, they, have, they can search the underground areas. They can search the outbuildings. They have the, I, read the, I, I read the warrant, and it was very complete. So they're okay. going to be able to go look at everything. Okay. The tactical teams are getting ready off-site, and they get into two cattle trailers. See, now o- that 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 bothers me because cattle trailers. Okay, if y'all aren't from rural Texas, right? Cattle <laughs> trailers are huge, ginormous things. Okay, and, and they're full of holes. Full of them. You can see everything that's in them. So, like, e- either way, they're big. And if you can fit a good like six to ten cattle in one of these trailers, you know, um, with, with room to spare, mm-hmm. with room to spare. Like, imagine how many tactical, how many members of these tactical teams there were to fill two of them. Right. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So they bring in all these agents that they're going to be using to help serve the warrant and protect the people that are doing it in a cattle truck that you can see right through. Yeah. And all these guys are crowded in these two trucks, and they come in from two different directions. Yeah. I, I mean, you might as well just paint a target on them. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> then there's other agents are, are deployed to go out and set up roadblocks for public safety, keep other people out of the way so they don't get hurt. Okay. And the command post integrity so that nobody wanders in that's not supposed to be there. Okay. Okay, at 929, the National Guard helicopters are leaving the command post. And there's 76 agents that are traveling out to the compound. The five Media vehicles are circling around, circling around, or they're parked near the near the compound. And this is, is this, so. This so, sounds like a circus. It is a circus, <laughs> and and it, nothing has happened yet. Oh my god! So, so and this <laughs> they, is something. Okay, by now they have to know that the Davidians know they're there. <laughs> yeah, they they know something's up. I mean, okay. come on. There's there's people all over. They're starting to come on the property. I mean, I just, I just don't see how the ATF still thinks they're they're surprising them at this point. Is my I thing. Have, I have no idea I don't because know. <laughs> it makes no sense. And when I watched it happen, uh-huh. it made no sense to me. I was watching it, going, "What is going on?" They got the media out there, you know, mm-hmm. and they came out in a, like a in um, a caravan, you know, one car behind the other. Oh yeah, out yeah. on this country road that nobody drives on. Yeah, it was very strange. Oh, so the, that, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. So in, in, in part one, I mentioned a documentary I had watched um, mm-hmm. with interviews from the family. They also have uh, recordings of Koresh talking to agents of the negotiators with ATF. Mm-hmm. And they actually have radio from all of this. And I'll give you the link as well because I'm going to provide it in my show notes for part one. Okay. And I'll let, I'll let you have it for your show notes for part Great. two. So here's something that really irritated me and told me a lot about what they were thinking at 946 they're ready to tell the raid everybody in the raid to that they're ready to go there it's time to go and what they say is showtime 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 yeah like 
The show's coming. It's showtime. Oh, that's tacky. Well, and it and it speaks of a overconfidence to me, and and no, like I said earlier, a minimization. Yeah, exactly. They this this wasn't going to be a big deal. It was going to be, you know, a show. Yeah, exactly. A a day at the circus. Mm -hmm. A minute later, three helicopters are approaching the compound. Well. When these doomsday preppers, white supremacists, see the helicopters, black helicopters coming over them, oh. they shoot at them. We, okay, so see, there's like a whole thing about black helicopters specifically in Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're planning an episode, so watch out for that one. <laughs> it's pretty crazy what these people think. But no, I mean, that, that's kind of why this happened. But That's know. right. So three helicopters all of a sudden are flying over. What are they going to think inside the compound? So they well, start I, shooting at them. Yeah. I mean, they've got the weaponry to do it. So No kidding. So they, they hit two, and they have, oh. they have to land because they can't fly anymore. Okay, so no one was hurt. Not, not to my on, knowledge. Not those helicopters. Okay. Right. The third one was also hit, but he could still fly. So he just moved out of, out of gun range. Okay, good, 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 good. So he and, wasn't damaged to the point he had to land. He was able to actually get away. Right. Okay. But two of them had to land right there as they were coming close to the compound. Oh, so. my God. Do you know how terrifying that would be? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. No. Yeah, I'm like, no. I quit. I quit. I'm a member. Don't shoot me. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'll yeah, join I've, you. I've just converted. Thank you very yeah, much. Exactly. Because they have more guns than we do. Oh, and more powerful guns, apparently. Yeah, yeah, so, and with a greater range. I mean, they've got a, they've got one of those uh, those boy rifles for the tanks. Oh man, that's right. Yeah, Whoa. they were shooting at least automatic weapons at them if they weren't shooting shooting something bigger. Oh, for sure. So at the same time, the cover team, who is going to cover the people that are going up to serve the warrant, they start getting gunfire from the left. An armed individual on top of the water tower starts firing at the agents, and there's rifle fire from a field in the back of the compound. So there's just there's bullets flying everywhere. Uh huh. The command post they hear on the radio, someone says, "Heavy fire! Heavy fire! Heavy fire!" And the radio port reports are coming in that there's ATF casualties. Uh, the Care Flight Medical Evacuation Crew, they go ahead and go to Waco, and they're ready to pick people up. And then they bring more ambulances to just outside the area and put the hospitals on standby because they suddenly realize they're going to have a lot of people going. Oh, my God. They're so God. They're, mm. Go ahead. <laughs> they're just now putting hospitals on standby. Right. Yeah. And they knew they were told the type of guns that they had. Yes. Or reportedly had. Exactly. And they're just now being like, oh, maybe we should have taken this seriously after they've already started the raid. Well, somebody thought about it because they did have the care flight come in and they did tell the ambulances to be on alert. But now we need way more ambulances and we need to tell the hospitals that we got a mass casualty incident and they're going to be bringing people to all different hospitals. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about, though. Like, it's one thing to have an ambulance on standby or two mm-hmm. and it's another to be like okay we've got 75 people in there with automatic weapons and we have automatic weapons and <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> 
Like So yeah, and for some reason they really didn't anticipate or expect this to happen. Okay. So yeah, it, like I said, that's Monday morning quarterbacking, but still it's I mean, it's, but they had Ruby Rich to look at. Yeah, once again it wasn't ATF, that was FBI. Oh and, and there was there's a lot of rivalry among at that time among yeah. among the, the federal agencies. There was, yeah. Because that that that's how they got their funding was how much work they did they got paid. So if they had big raids and got a lot of publicity, then they would get more funding. Mm-hmm. And they could be like neener neener next time FBI wants to try to take a case. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. Of course, the ATF was very much underfunded and and pretty much bound by laws that were um, archaic. That, well, no, they were pushed by. Um, the National Rifle Association and other uh, gun uh-huh. manufacturing packs so that they, at one time, that when there are, were computers to use, they were not allowed to keep the records, records. of purchases on computers. They had to keep them in files on paper. Fuck so, yeah. I mean, it's, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, not, not you fuck off, but <laughs> I'm just, really? I'm so frustrated right now. <laughs> I know. Well, at by this time, they had got computers going, but at one time it... it I mean, no. they just tried to hobble them as much as I possible. Just, I don't understand how people support an organization that specifically does things that hurt people. Uh, they tell yeah. them what they need to hear to scare them, I guess. Yeah. Fear mockery. Okay. Yeah. Yes. okay. Sorry. So, Sorry. At the over, this is all happening at the same time. At the undercover house, the ATF agents observe trailers arriving at the compound. And then they look at the compound and they see gun barrels stuck out of windows, nearly every window. Mm-hmm. They communicate with the tactical agents, there's guns everywhere, and then they return fire. Mm-hmm. And in the cattle trailers, there was a team who was assigned to serve the warrant. Now, this is probably should have been at the top. But there was a team assigned to serve the warrant through the front door, and another was going to the roof, another mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. The agents hesitate, and they're under heavy fire. The Branch Davidian leader in the doorway, and I don't know if it was Koresh or someone else, it just said leader. Um, he was yelling, what's going on? And he goes inside. Mm-hmm. And then the agents are caught in crossfire as the ATF and the Davidians begin firing at each other. So they've got agents in the middle who are having to hit the ground because the ATF is shooting at them, and so is the compound. They're shooting at each other, but they're in between, so they're getting hit. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes. This is... (laughs) Clowns are planning this. It's it's a real circus. It it, it is a circus. (laughs) So now we got the cattle trailers. Oh, also, um, just for those that maybe have never seen the compound at Mount Carmel, Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's, like, super famous here. Everybody's seen it, but it is literally... A big long building, and there's a big tower, and there's windows everywhere. So right. they and, then, and there's were, a water tower, and there's yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean when we're talking, okay. So like here, like literally the every side of this building, including like a turret like thing in the middle, mm-hmm. like they had this place covered. The HDF had no hope on this. They one. didn't. No, they didn't, because out of every one of those windows, there was a gun. So 
the guys in the cattle trailers, they start to come out, and they're ready to go in and start shooting. And as soon as they leave the truck, they get shot. They're shot mm-hmm. at, and some of them are shot. And some of them are getting out and going behind the truck, and then they go back out, and they drag, try to drag their friends who were injured or killed out of back behind the truck with them. Okay. And... Um, So they're fired on as soon as they leave the vehicle. One of them is struck in the vest. This is kind of a little interesting side thing. He's struck in his vest, and the bullet hit the treasury seal on his backup gun, and that's the only reason it didn't kill him. Oh, my God. (laughs) So that's 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 a little good luck. That's like those people you see, like they have like a notebook in their pocket. (laughs) That's what saves them. Yes. (laughs) So, so yeah, so he had a backup gun that was tucked in his his shirt, and that's, that's what saved his life. Mm-hmm. The roof team goes into Koresh's bedroom and the armory room, which is right next to it, on the second floor at, with a ladder. And they hear voices in the compound and they're asking them, what are you doing here? What do you want from us? Why don't you leave? Oh, there's there's one. Um, if you can find it, there's mm-hmm. one. Uh, I think it's in the same. It is in the same documentary I watched. This guy calls 911 and he's like, you have these people here. We've told them. You know, like, like they shot at us and we mm-hmm. don't know why. We don't know why they're here. There's women and children. In, like, and he, like, I mean, I've listened to a lot of 911 calls because I, lo- mm-hmm. I love true crime. And this guy sounds sincere. He is terrified. He does not know what is happening. Mm-hmm. He is just like, like, I believe that they didn't know what the hell was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because it's now, because at this time, we're still within the 30 minutes. It hasn't, it hasn't even been 30 minutes since it started. Right. This is the first 30 minutes, yeah. Right. So one agent said there were firearms in every window on the second floor and no agents inside the building at that time. Mm-hmm. The other, another agent hears, lay down your guns or we'll kill you. Get off our property. Which, Which I mean, if they own the property, that's reasonable. Yes, especially <laughs> if they haven't looked out and seen that they're ATF. Well, not to mention, even if it, whether it's ATF or not, they still have not stated why they're there. Right. They just know they're being shot at. So. Right. So okay. they exchange gunfire during this whole time until the ceasefire, which is just a few minutes away. Mm-hmm. The ba- ATF batteries are starting to go down already. Mm-hmm. One agent yells out to a camera crew to get an ambulance or to go get help. So he's like. Guys, get out of here. Go get an ambulance. Yeah, yeah. So, and the call that you were talking about was a call to the McLennan County Sheriff's Office. Mm-hmm. And he was explaining what you said. And then after they hung up, the sheriff called the ATF and said, I can get this guy on the, I've got, I'm sorry, he didn't hang up. He says, I've got this guy on the phone. You probably want to talk to him. Right, because he was on the other line waiting. Right. You know. Um, and cause, so, because you'll hear on the phone call ATF and the sheriff talking over to each other, trying to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, you skipped the ten fifteen. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I just wanted to make sure you got everything. So we can go over that. So yeah, <laughs> it's fine. So okay, so the agent, the agent yells at the camera crew, says, "Get an ambulance. We need help. Mm-hmm. Please go get some help." Yep. So at ten fifteen, thirty minutes later. The agents at the command post begin to receive assignments for supporting those at the compound. So the ones that are still in Waco mm-hmm. at the Bellmead Center are being told, you need to come out and help us because we're running out of people. 
another 10 agents volunteer to assist the down helicopters. So they're going out there to help them, which leaves fewer people around the compound. And then mm. the helicopter that can returns to the command post. Okay. At t- five minutes later is when the, the, the McLennan County Sheriff's Office gets the phone call from the person inside the compound. Right, the one I mentioned earlier? Right. Okay. And the ATF finally get with the sheriff, and they call, talk to this guy on the phone. And 10 minutes later, at 10.30 a.m., they have a ceasefire. Oh, good, good. The so first everybody's right supposed thing. to stop shooting. The One agent thing. hears a gunshot from another part of the compound and hears someone yell, who shot from the inside? Another agent starts to rise during the ceasefire and firing begins again at him. Oh, my God. So other agents return that fire and there goes the ceasefire. Well, see, like, okay. So no. <laughs> the ceasefire happens at 1030. Mm-hmm. Um, an agent hears gunshot. Who knew if it's from ATF or the British civilians at this point? Mm-hmm. No one really knows. But the British civilians are like, who the fuck? Or sorry, who shot? You know, like <laughs> who, who, whose gun went off? Mm-hmm. One of the agents starts to get up. And I'm guessing the British civilians thought that they shot. So they start shooting at him. Exactly. Oh and God. then they start shooting at the branch Davidians again. I mean, it's everybody's fault, but damn. <laughs> I mean, so. At, so far, though, so far, I'm not really blaming the branch Davidians because, I mean, what, we're like 30, 40 minutes in now, and they have mm-hmm. yet to say why they're there. Right. You know? So between 946 and 1030... This has all happened in just that short amount of time. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so, so 45 minutes. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so at 10.57, three ambulances arrive at the first checkpoint where they have to stop, and they're, they're stopping people so they don't go in and get shot. Okay. And at 11.27... So a full, almost hour later from the first ceasefire. Over an hour. Okay. Oh, oh, from the ceasefire? Yeah. Yeah, from 10.30 to 10.57, so a half an hour. No, 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 from 10.30 to 10.27. Oh, okay, yes. That's when an agent at the undercover house starts to negotiate another ceasefire with the people in the house. So we're less than two hours into the entire thing, and we're already at ceasefire number two. <laughs> right. Well, oh they're, trying, they're trying to negotiate it. Yeah. And, okay. and then at 11.34, which is seven minutes later, the ambulance arrives, they see the tactical agent still in position and no one is moving. Okay. Which is a good thing. Okay. Five minutes later, an agent arrives in the undercover house. I'm sorry. An agent in the undercover house is unable to negotiate another ceasefire and tells agents over the radio to slowly move towards the ambulance at the southeast part of the compound. Right. Move slow. Don't be rash. Like, don't give yeah. them a reason to shoot you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they're they've got you've got agents going there. They're dragging other agents, and it's a big mess. Yeah. And that is how the siege started. We okay. So that's the initial raid. Correct. Well, uh, bloodbath is that a better term? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. So the initial. So it's no the, longer the a, a walk in the conflict. park. Right. It's no longer a walk in the park. It's a bloodbath. Okay. So no, no, this isn't Showtime. 
uh, I thought this was showtime. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely showtime, but it was definitely horror horror show. Uh, well, I, I mean, I like horror, but this is yeah, okay. this is too much. This is <laughs> and and you know you can't blame the ATF because entirely because you know they had to do something. There was children being abused. Right. No, I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. I don't blame the ATF for feeling the need to get this situation handled. I just mm-hmm. don't like the way they went about it. No. And, and you know what I'm saying, yeah, like, I do. I, I, I agree. The Davidians needed to be raided. They needed their weapons taken away. They needed those children taken away. I just don't like the way the ATF underestimated everything. And causes. Yeah, and I, th- I think underestimation is, and not only underestimation, but the lack of professional security. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of very good professionals at the ATF, but when they're going around town with their uniforms on in, in masses, they even talk in what I, in the report the ATF made, they talked about the agents in, at the Bell Meat Center having coffee and donuts. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, uh. you know. <laughs> yeah, so they were like, you know, it's, well, I'll just get breakfast. I'm going to get some coffee and donuts. We'll hang around here until you tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, think of what donuts do to your heart. I mean, really. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you live long enough to have that happen. Right. So, yeah, this is a major cluster bloodbath. Mm, yeah and they end up the fbi finally gets the i'm sorry the atf finally gets the fbi involved and they they are now taking charge of resolving the standoff well because now it's a hostage and siege situation so it's out of the atf's hands now well yeah it's better out of their hands because the fbi has a little more experience but they did ruby ridge so maybe that's not a good idea Anyways, mm-hmm. so March 1st, which is the next day, the FBI takes charge of resolving the standoff. They bring in their hostage rescue team, and it, they tighten the perimeter around the compound so they all get closer. Yeah. Koresh says to his followers, if they want to fight, we'll fight. Mm-hmm. Then the FBI restricts the compound phone lines to only negotiator calls. Which they should have done in the first place. I would think they should have just called and started talking to them to begin with, but that's me. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a trained law enforcement official, so I don't know. I yeah. So Koresh demands that the phone lines be restored, or the FBI officials will have to live knowing that they're the ones that killed these little children. That's what oh he my, said. Oh my god! So, so if you don't give us back your phones, you're the ones that kill the children. No, I don't. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so uh, an, now I'm start like this is always the point. Like once the FBI gets involved, like this is where you really start getting torn because you're like, these are horrible people. But I mean, I don't know. The, to me, the ATFs are the. I mean, the British civilians are the bad guys, but the ATF is the bad guys too. So that's just me. Like well, now, and you know, and the ATF didn't involve the FBI beforehand either, which they should have. Well. Like we talked about before, that was before everyone was organized under the Homeland Security Act. It always the, goes the back to that. <laughs> yeah, it's turf. It's mm-hmm. and there's a, and I've seen in my in my time of working disaster after disaster, there's a lot of turf that still goes on. Oh no, it's all just giant pissing contests. 
It seems this. like it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so Koresh tells the FBI, we want our phones or else the, your, the blood of these kids is on your hands. Exactly. Okay. So the negotiator offers to give Koresh <laughs> a national platform for a recorded message if he agrees to lead his people out after the message airs. And Koresh says, okay. And he makes yep. a recording. Well, why wouldn't he? He's a narcissist. Yeah. So. <laughs> At least. Mm. So the ATF... Agent who negotiates the ceasefire persuades Koresh to release two children every time the Dallas radio news station KRLD plays his recorded message that God has given him the ability to unlock the seven seals of revelation and start the apocalypse. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's what's playing on the radio there. And right, God only and knows how long it is. Oh, it's 57 minutes. It's an yep. hour, almost an hour. Uh, that's that link I had on the part one. Okay, so we the can you can actually one. listen to that. Yeah. Okay. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's pretty bad. So on the next day, March 2nd, at 1.30 in the afternoon, Koresh's 57-minute recording message is aired on Christian Broadcasting Network. He promised to surrender after the broadcast. Hours later, his lieutenant, Steve Schneider, he's like the second guy in charge, tells negotiators that God has told Koresh to wait. Mm. furious and and to me reacting with any kind of big emotion like that is not appropriate for this kind of situation no but furious the fbi's tactical and on-scene commanders move the tanks forward the negotiators are urging patience so so the fbi's like well you didn't you didn't do what you said you did so we're going to move these tanks in and we're going to make you do it Mm-hmm. And then the negotiator saying, no, 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 you don't want to threaten them. They've got kids in there. Right. The negotiators are using logic, whereas the, the on-scene commanders are using emotion. And there's infighting now. So There is, because there's the people that want to attack, and there's the people that want to negotiate. Mm-hmm. And because of that... I'm on the negotiator side, but that's just me. <laughs> well, yeah, if it, if it works. But then Koresh lied and didn't do what he said he was going to do, so... But at the What's same in, time, he's also not killing children, though. That's as far as we know, he's not. Yeah, true. Right. True, true. So, so there's there's tension between the negotiators and the tactical people. Mm-hmm. Um, on March the fifth, because they've been playing this recording, a nine-year-old girl is the last of the twenty-one children that came out of there by being broadcast over and over and over. So okay, every, so this this uh, recorded message. Mm-hmm. We had said every time it's played, he lets two kids go. Right. So total to come out because of this is 21. Right. And now March 5th was the last one right. of those 21. And that's when the FBI profilers warn in a memo that increasing tactical pressure could eventually be counterproductive and could result in the loss of life. Mm-hmm. So this tension between the negotiators and the and the tactical people is like they're saying... Don't, don't make them any matter because you're going to kill people that way. Mm-hmm. So March 7th, mm-hmm. Koresh tells a negotiator he's Christ, come to judge the world and start overthrowing America. So, thi- okay, so this part right here from my research, I don't know mm-hmm. if, uh, uh, I'm not going to lie, I didn't, I kind of brushed over the notes because I wanted to kind of learn as you were mm-hmm. telling me, but 
there is Koresh, a lot of the information they know about his childhood, like him being bullied and all that stuff, like was these long overnight conversations with the negotiators that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, w- would this be when that started or? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. A- and, uh, you know, Koresh likes to talk, obviously. He just loves talking. Yes. Yes. And he's so, good at it. I will admit he's good at it. <laughs> So the negotiator asks him to send out more kids, and Koresh says, no, you're dealing with my biological children now. So the only children left, there's, there's 18 children left. Um, no, there's, there's 17 children left and a pregnant 19-year-old. Mm. So those are all his kids, mm-hmm. I guess. And probably the pregnant one, that's his kid too, the, the baby. Mm-hmm. So... The McLennan County Sheriff, Jack Harwell, phones Koresh and said he'd ask F- the FBI to send milk into the compound. So the local law enforcement is trying to convince the FBI to back off a little bit and help them. We don't want to starve the kids, so we're going to send in some milk, and hopefully that'll get put right, them in a we, mood to where they're more, uh, more amenable to negotiation. We do a favor, they do a favor. Exactly. And, like, I think because uh, in that documentary, mm-hmm. they interviewed some of the people that were involved in this siege. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, like, we were hoping we could awaken some of their maternal feelings mm-hmm. and let the kids out. And it's like, how one, how sexist is that, too? Uh, <laughs> you know, like, you're dealing with people that are brainwashed. Like, you're not going to do anything to change that. Like, you have to convince the leader, not everyone else. Right. So. Well, and the thing is, these people are, are will be happy to die. That's oh, yeah, their they, goal, is they to believe die. that's how to get to heaven. That's exactly. how to be part of the 144,000. Right. You have to be one of the first ones to be killed. Mm-hmm. So they aren't, they aren't worried about getting killed, and they aren't worried about their children dying. Right, because this is seal four. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which go back to the first step, <laughs> to mm-hmm. part one. <laughs> At home on the strange, I'd listen to that because it's very involved and it's pretty confusing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after the milk is sent in, Koresh sends out a videotape of himself and his wives and children. Oh, this, Some, this is that super famous one. Yeah. Okay. Some observe it would be positive public relations for Koresh and the FBI officials. Oh, wait. Some observe it would be positive public relations for Koresh, and the FBI officials don't want to release the tape, so they well, don't. Well, of course not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's going to watch it? So oh. on the 9th, March 9th, without consul- consulting the negotiators who know what's going on in there, the FBI commanders temporarily cut off compound electricity. Oh, I'd be pissed. Yeah. And the negotiators did not think that would have been a good idea if they no. had been asked. Because so, you know you know how Texas is. Okay, so this is like March. Things are starting to get kind of hot, humid in Texas. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you are. And like when it starts to get warm, like if you're inside a building without electricity, it's almost better just to be outside. So them yes. doing this is like bordering on cruel, especially with children in the building. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Vidians hang... The Davidians hang a banner out the window. It says, God, help us. We want the press. Right. Because the press. So they want their side of the story heard. Right. I mean, who doesn't? But, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm just, I'm getting upset. I know. It's, it was just, well, 
like I said, there was this big tension between the negotiators and the tactical people. Tactical mm-hmm. guys needed to do something, and the negotiators wanted to talk. Okay. Mm. So on March 11th, which is my birthday. Oh, yay. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Me and Lawrence Welk. Yay. The FBI tactical commanders asked for Washington's okay to use tear gas to pressure the Davidians to surrender. The proposal is denied. Yeah, I know. The very next day, they swear in Janet Reno as the U.S. Attorney General, which puts her in charge of those requests. I don't know if you allow cussing, but this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I... Well, she walked into a situation that nobody should have to walk into on their first day. I got to say that, you know? To be fair, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Still... She so, made some bad choices. <laughs> she, well, she did it based on the information that she got. It's hard. Uh, okay. it, it's hard for me to. No. To. I mean, there was she's obvious. Just, she's there was just obvious kind of, mistakes made and bad bad decisions. But you know, you do the best you can with what you got at the time. That's true. I mean, and can't completely fault her. She like literally got sworn in in the middle of this. Okay. Exactly. And like the literal middle, mm-hmm. and she. She was given bad information, mm-hmm. but the, I mean, I guess it's kind of the media's fault that they made her like the face of this disaster. Yeah, they really did. And because she was responsible have, for cleanup. Cause right. She's on the back half of this, you mm-hmm. know? So like, I don't think that was, I mean, but still, I mean, she had other stuff that I don't like her for, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other, that's a whole yeah, other episode. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, the same day, a Davidian who surrendered tells the FBI Koresh has a total hold on followers and many would surrender if David would let them. So there's a lot of people in there that want to get out, but he's not letting them. Mm-hmm. So the FBI then permanently cuts the electricity and they start shining spotlights on the compound and broadcasting from loudspeakers. Oh, uh, is this where they start playing the dead, ra- the dying rabbits and stuff? I think, and- Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. no, I've heard audio from that, and it's horrifying. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, and it I was constant. Enough... It was all night, all all day, mm-hmm. yeah. No, because, like, okay, so we stay in an apartment, and our apartment windows face the parking lot, and just car lights bothered me. Like, we had to buy blackout curtains for my room. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine having these big spotlights <laughs> just go yeah. all over, you know. Oh, my God. So now you have people in there that want to get out. And you have Koresh, and they're all sleep deprived, mm. which means that their decision making their decision making yeah. skills are crumbling. Not to mention, like, OK, so decision making skills go out the window. Uh, cognitive reasoning is out the window, like just thinking in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you go more to your uh, mammalian brain, which is like like you're 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 running off of instinct rather than thought. So like you tend to be more irritated, all that kind of stuff. And you go long enough, you start um, hallucinating. You right. know, like which Gresh may have already been doing to begin with. Right. But yeah, so the, everybody's. Everybody's mental state, and that includes the FBI, is yeah, it's just bad. It's just bad. Right. Bad situation. A negotiation leader from the FBI later said that cutting the power was one of the absolutely critical decisions that changed the outcome. Yeah. If not for that, he said, more people would have come out. Yeah, because they're just showing how cruel they are. Why would you mm-hmm. want to go to a group that's cruel? Well, and yeah, and 
Well, but not they... to mention, also, if you leave, you know, you go into captivity, is what Crush said. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. I'm sure that's what he's... T- but there was people in there that were ready to go. They wanted to go. Right. But he's but not I mean, going to be making any better decisions by making you, him sleep-deprived. You have you have pressures from Koresh. You have pressures from the group saying, don't leave, don't leave, because this is, like, your ticket to the or, afterlife. Right. Or I've got to get out of here, and I've got to get my kid out of here. But I can't do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have, you know, just, like, uh, I mean, people are just making bad decisions all over the place. So, well, and also consider how afraid those people are of the people outside of the compound. I would be terrified. I mean, I don't. I, I'm scared of cops now, but I mean, I would <laughs> maybe be maybe they were like, "Well, we're in here, but going out there may not be good either." Right? They so. might shoot us the minute we walk to that door. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I get that. So the next day, because the power's out, the negotiators have difficulty reaching compound residents they try all day okay the fbi the fbi has a bug in there and it picks up koresh raging about the cut power lines and phones someone's stabbing me in the back gonna go up and blow their heads off he says so he thinks there's somebody that's like a traitor a, in a, his a snitch mm-hmm. a rat <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. right okay so on the 14th st patrick's uh, day nope 17th is st patrick's day but Aww, we'll get there okay <laughs> I I like St. Patrick's Day. I jumped the gun. My bet. It's okay. It's all right. We'll get there. <laughs> Faith and Bagara. We'll can get you, there. Can you cut that? <laughs> a child psychologist, I'm sorry, a child psychiatrist tells the FBI that older children who have been released act as if they've had a shared group secret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Major themes too. with all the children are a sense of unusual sexual practices involving the young girls and the sense that there's going to be an absolute explosive end to these children's families. Oh, that's not good. So the children are picking up on exactly what's going on. I mean, they're hearing sermons too. Right. Mm. And these are the ones that have come out. Right. No, of course, because they're mm-hmm. they talking to a psychiatrist, but. Yeah. They, so they felt like they had to keep secrets. Of course. But when oh. they did get them talking, they were talking about sexual abuse Mm-hmm. And Which is what happens. That's common for abused children. Mm-hmm. They keep a secret. So. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and they're part of the cult. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they knew that something was going to be, that they were going to just destroy the families. It was going to be a big, terrible, horrible thing that happened to them. Yeah, end it their, all. their families are going to go away. Right. So, yeah. So on the 15th, which is the Ides of March. Yeah. <laughs> Two Davidians, Schneider, his second in command, and Wayne Martin meet outside the compound with the sheriff and the FBI negotiator Byron Sage. Uh-huh. An FBI bug picks up Koresh and Snyder talking about the ATF gunfight, describing Davidians firing through the windows and walls. Koresh laughs about seeing an ATF agent in the corner all slumped and his head blew up. He shouldn't have been standing in my door trying to come in, but what am I going to do? Let him come in? Oh, so they're they're claiming they have audio evidence that he wasn't going to let them in. Mm, no, they have audio evidence of him saying, right, like the original, the first shot thing. Like, yeah, he's talking the about door. the first day okay. to his friend. Well, that's, what, that's saying. what I'm saying. It's like the ATF is claiming they have audio evidence of this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So on St. Patrick's Day, woo! <laughs> Sorry, green beer. <laughs> 
So an ATF agent that was wounded, he sues, alleging the Waco media tipped the Davidians off to the ATF's raid, which, oh. they, which they did by accident. Well, I mean, to be fair, the ATF invited them out. Exactly. So you can't really do that. Sue and the ATF company. wasn't exactly staying under the radar. No. Ugh. I don't so, know. so Schneider, first guy in command again, refuses to come out for a second meeting, saying Koresh is angry about the armored vehicles nearing the compound and the ATF media statements about their raid. So they're getting information about what the ATF has been saying about the raid. Mm-hmm. Koresh declares, they're saying your commanders are a threat. You're trying to push aside where we're coming from. Therefore, we can't communicate. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to give and take. I made the first move by sending out the kids. You've continued to digress on the things you promise. You keep yourself in ignorance. You don't understand. That's what Koresh says. Okay, so, but I mean, he has a point, though. Like, you have to see, I mean, like, not that they have to see, but like, we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, work with you, but because of our beliefs, there's certain things we're not willing to do, like leave the compound, and they're not understanding that. You know, on the other hand, though, Koresh has been promising to do certain things, to lead his people out, to let more children out, whatever. And he's not doing it. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth. So exactly. Mm -hmm. So the negotiator says back to him, I do understand we're running out of patience, which I'm in. Yeah, (laughs) because you have all these guys here that are ready to attack Uh and and he's not gonna be able to hold them back anymore. And they actually go through a large number of negotiators during this time. I mean, no, I can only imagine how taxing loud. that is. They keep switching them out, and it's not a good thing to do because the negotiator has to build a rapport. And mm-hmm. if they change you out with somebody the next day, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's well, I mean, not, not conducive. O- not only that, like, I mean, I get it why they have to do that, though, because they have to be available to talk to that person, like, 24-7 while they're the negotiator. Mm-hmm. And David Koresh is keeping them up all night talking and then they're having to stay up all day because the ATF is wanting to do stuff. So, But I believe they had over 50 of them during that period. Oh, my God, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, they, I, I'm not I, sure. I could imagine having, That didn't like, make a lot of sense to me. I would have three or four that have a rapport with David, right? Mm-hmm. And just have them work shifts and just, you know, tell them, like, look, these are the only four you're talking to. That's who it is. Because you can build a, ref- a rapport between four people. Mm-hmm. Not 50. <laughs> so, and Schneider's talking to these negotiators. Schneider tells the negotiator that 20 to 30 people were almost ready to surrender before they turned the electricity off permanently. Uh-huh. He says, these commanders, I mean, the ones that have messed up, I think you will tell me the truth, but they're ultimately in control. So right. He's, so he's basically saying, like, uh, the commanders messed it up, but I trust you. Um, but he, he so, okay, so basically, but he's you saying, can't make them stop. You, you right. don't have any control over them. Right. He's like, I trust you, but they're there and they're the ones with the control. So what mm-hmm. am I supposed to do? Right. right. Okay. I see what he's saying. Okay. March 21st, mm-hmm. hours after seven adults surrender. The FBI tanks bulldozed the cars that belonged to the sect. Oh, my God. Okay. The chief negotiator warns the FBI is again answering positive Davidian actions with aggressive negative reactions. That's that's just what I was about to say. Like, you catch more flies with honey numb nuts. Like, come on. Why are you going to... I'm sorry. That was just... 
ugliness on their part. Yeah, well, and, That's just ugliness. and 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 the reaction that David Koresh had to them bulldozing his car was just anger, and that made him dig in more. The chief mm-hmm. negotiator warns the FBI is again. Well, I already said that. FBI loudspeakers blast Tibetan monk chants at the compound. They mm-hmm. later play Christmas carols, Nancy Sinatra's "These Boots Are Made for Walking," and the dying rabbit screams that we were talking oh, okay. about. Okay, so th- this is when they start doing that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Nancy Sinatra. That's pretty scary. <laughs> well, I mean, see, and the thing is, it's like I kind of like that song, but I, 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 I could see how hearing it over and over and over again, like that would drive me crazy. <laughs> there was an episode of The Walking Dead where one of the guys was captured, and they played this horribly chirpy song over and over and over. It drove him crazy. It drove all mm-hmm. of us crazy watching it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. March 22nd, negotiator's memo to the FBI headquarters endorses the tear gas plan. Negotiators say they hope to persuade the FBI leaders to gas the building gradually and not just throw it all in at once. Mm-hmm. On March 23rd, Assistant U.S. Attorney Bill Johnson, the guy who first notified the ATF, writes to Janet Reno and complains that the FBI is destroying evidence and jeopardizing any criminal case. Yeah, I mean, because like, what they've already bulldozed their cars, they're mm-hmm. shooting up the building. Um, they're, I yeah, I mean they're not being very smart about this. Doesn't seem that way. Mm-hmm. Livingston, Livingston Fagan, a British national, is the last of the fourteen adults that surrender. So he's mm-hmm. going to be the last person to leave that compound. Oh, so let me let me uh, interject here real quick. So mm-hmm. on the first episode, I didn't have time to get into it. But David Koresh would go to Australia, Britain, uh, Canada, and I believe Mexico, and he would he would get people from outside countries to come to uh, America to join his cult, and that's what they were talking about with the uh, well earlier in this episode with the uh, illegal aliens or immigrants, you know, mm-hmm. or undocumented uh, people. Yeah, and- there was actually. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, so like those undocumented people and the foreign nationals, that that's why they were there because Koresh had um, uh, recruited them. Yeah, recruited them. Sorry. Yeah, I, I actually was reading about one of the Australian families that was trying to get their member out before all this happened. Their two children, the mm-hmm. mom and the dad, like they 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 really tried to get their two children out. And what was sad is like one of the first casualties on the Davidian side was their son. It's sad. That's yeah, in the that's in the documentary too. So, yeah. Well, I uh, took I took most of this from newspaper articles and the mm-hmm. ATF report and the report to Congress. Yeah. So. <laughs> but they weren't very truthful with Congress, as we learned later. So. Okay. So March 29th, six days later, after Koresh speaks to negotiators for the first time in four days, Houston criminal defense attorney Dick DeGaron goes mm-hmm. to the compound to meet Koresh. So, so Dick DeGaron, he's a super, super duper famous attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, of course, represented Koresh. Uh, he represented Robert Durst. And he represented a bunch of other really crazy attorneys and criminals here in, in Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, we are actually planning on doing an episode on him. So keep an eye out for that one. It's going to be fun. On DeGaron or Durst? DeGaron. <laughs> So. Durst is a whole other story. Oh, no. no. Yeah. Back to Waco. Yeah. 
Sorry. This attorney, DeGaron, was hired by Koresh's mother. Mm-hmm. And he returns four more times and will be accompanied on the last two trips by a criminal defense attorney, Jack Zimmerman, from Houston, who is retained to represent Schneider. Yeah, if I remember correctly, their practice was together. Mm-hmm. I believe so. So March 30th, now this I found very interesting, Army veteran Timothy McVeigh, the future Oklahoma City bomber, goes to Waco. While he's there, he tells a journalism student that the incident is the start of government repression. Oh, goodness. And McVeigh is selling bumper stickers that say things like, fear the government that fears your gun. This sounds like early Alex Jones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Okay. So that's the guy that's going to blow up the Oklahoma City building, the federal building. Um, yeah. There in Waco. And he blows it up. He blew it up on the same day, April 19th, right? I believe so, or close to. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you covered him yet? No. Oh, okay. I would love to come back when you cover him. Yeah. I actually, I, I think I told you, I talked to, I went to um, a disaster college in Oklahoma City and. We had, we the talk, did a debriefing class with, um, well, yeah, but we did a debriefing class with some of the firefighters that went to that build, to the bombing. Oh. And that was kind of. That sounds depressing. <laughs> it, well, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay. So skip forward to April 4th. Okay. So this is when, five days later, four days later? Uh, four days later. Okay. No. Five days later. Yeah, how many days are in March? <laughs> 31. <laughs> okay. 31. Okay. Right. So after the last meeting with Koresh, DeGaron and Zimmerman, the lawyers, tell the FBI that everyone will surrender after a week-long Passover observance. Okay. So the That's next day they start to observe Passover. And in a phone message to FBI headquarters, the Waco tactical commanders say they won't try and fight fires that break out if there's a gas assault. What the hell? Yeah, so they're not going to... Yeah, if fire start, we're just going to let them burn. Oh, my God. That's the fifth. No. On the ninth, Koresh sends out a letter signed Yahweh Koresh. Which is like God Koresh. Right, which uh. warns of coming earthquakes, disasters, and judgments. So he's really starting to wig out, I think, oh, about that. He's losing it. Because wasn't he already injured at this time, too? Like, he was bleeding out internally wasn't he i am not sure about that hmm because I, I remember that video the milk video he was injured mm-hmm. if i remember correctly so he's already like he's probably getting septic by this point no sleep i mean yeah uh, the next day april 10th the fbi agents ring concertina wire around the compound now is this is this that stuff that like we put at the border wall that the mexicans stole yeah it's from the border wire. wall Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's barbed wire and it's concertina wire, which it's rolled up and it has pressure so that if you cut it, it doesn't go apart. It goes together. It closes the hole if you cut it. Weird. Okay. A second letter signed Yahweh Koresh, Koresh's name for God, warns, do not hurt my lamb. So he sent out a letter that says, God told you not to hurt me. Okay. Yeah. Because I am the lamb. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we cover in part one. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're getting close to the end here. People are yeah. getting pretty strung out. See, we April, told you, you we told you, you have to listen to part one before you listen to this one. So Yes, because a lot of this is doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you go back to your description of it, it helps a lot. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> on, okay. the tw- 
On the 12th, an FBI leader asked Reno to approve the gas assault. She asked, why now? Why not wait? And asked for more information. Mm-hmm. So she's not ready to start injuring people. No, I mean, and she's trying really hard. Like, yeah, she, she, needs, she wants more information before she makes a decision. That's a good thing. Because my, my research says, because they didn't have full studies done on, on how gas affects children, and there's still mm-hmm. children in there, and she didn't want to hurt the children. So right. at this point, without any further information, she's like, you've waited this long. Why are you so set on doing it right yeah. now? Exactly. You know? Why do you okay. have to do it today? Okay. Okay. And, you know, I guess they could, they could wait them out. They'd have to wait, probably take over a year to wait them out. Mm-hmm. But they could eventually wait them out. But... You know, that's a lot of money, that's a lot of time, that's a lot of agents tied up, that's a lot of possibility to be injured. So those, you know, the, the gung-ho, get it over with guys are still pressing, and the negotiators are still trying to hold everybody back. Mm-hmm. Well, and Reno is trying to have some, like, smartness about, or yes. some intelligence about how to move forward, too. Yeah, I Which think that's got, a- I mean, bless her heart, like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Oh, just just so listeners know, in case they're not from Texas, when you say bless your heart about someone, yeah, that's not a good thing. No, I mean, okay, so like, (laughs) well, it it could be. It's more like I pity you to like a very high degree or you're dumb and go away or (laughs) F you. You know, she, that's right. She she, so. she she just can't keep her pantyhose on. Bless her heart. No, no. Bless her heart. <laughs> bless her heart. She's the alone woman in a group of men. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah you there's know. that too. <laughs> nah. There's a lot of testosterone going around. And she's literally been the attorney for how long now? About a month. One month. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. First <laughs> month at work. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> so Koresh tells the lawyer on the 14th, Daguerrean, that he will come out after writing his message about the seven seals. So he didn't keep his promise to come out after Passover. Okay. So now he's going to write a message about the seven seals. And we, know, we all know how much sense that makes. Right. And so the FBI officials say they dismiss it as another ruse. They, I, would, like, I would too. Yeah. Well, this is just another thing that he's promising to do. Buying more time. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. On the 15th, which is tax day, oh. in a memo to the U.S. Treasury Secretary Lloyd Benson. Oh, who how ironic. Texas, <laughs> whose Sorry. agency oversees the ATF, Deputy Secretary Robert Altman reports that the FBI is pushing a gas assault plan because negotiations are stalled and they don't believe it is worth waiting. They don't uh, think it's worth waiting. They don't think it's worth waiting to to rescue children to whatever. I mean, and and you know, partly they're right, but still, I mean, I don't um, know. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Even if it's one life, like I don't understand how people can just dismiss life like that. Like, well, there's still the possibility that that David Koresh could have everybody commit suicide or shoot everybody in there, rather than let them go. I guess. so you got to think about that too. I mean, it's it's. But it there was are, a no-win situation. It, it's not just Koresh, though. There are 18 children in that compound. Right, but what if he decides to kill them and send them to God? But either way, I mean, you're still risking damaging those children for life with gas. So, mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so, yeah, it was, a, it was an impossible situation by then. It, 
it was, you, you know, you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. Yeah, but I mean, like, would you rather it be David's actions or your department's actions? Right. You know? So That's you wait and see me. what David does. Right. That's my feelings. Like, I'm not the one forcing him to do this. If he does this, that's on him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, I'll do what I can to get them out, but because I'm not going to instigate it. You know what I mean? But. Well, and their attitude by then was, I mean, it it was like, well, we can end this, but if it catches fire, we're not even going to bother with them. We're going to burn. See, that, that bothers, that's what bothers me about this statement right here. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what bothers me. So Altman also expresses doubts that Janet Reno would approve the plan, concluding she's a sensible person. But okay. Right. The risks of tragedy are there. And if the FBI waits indefinitely, Mr. Koresh will eventually concede. See? So Altman is saying, if we can keep it going, we may win this thing after all. Exactly. And it wasn't really a win-lose situation. No, it's not a zero-sum game. So on the 16th, three days until the end. That's my kid's birthday. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Reno vetoes the FBI's plan, but then requests an FBI briefing book justifying the use of tear gas. So she says, no, but give me all the information and I'll look at it. Why you want to. Okay, so basically she's saying, like, you gave me this plan. I have nothing that says this plan is a good idea or why you want to do this plan. You're just giving me the plan. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to say X this veto. Uh, now bring me the plan, and then we'll see about it. Right. So basically CYA. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. Or mm-hmm. And she generally needs to know. Yeah. On April 17th, the next day, she approves the FBI tear gas plan. Well, of course. Yes. FBI mm-hmm. bugs capture talk of keeping fire trucks away. Nobody comes in here, someone says. This is the, the FBI. The uh-huh. FBI bugs capture talk of... No, wait a minute. That's not right. FBI bugs capture talk of keeping fire trucks away. Nobody comes in here, someone says. They couldn't even bring in the fire truck. Schneider replies, because they couldn't even get near us. Yep. Asked about the progress on Karosh's manuscript, Schneider tells the negotiator he hasn't seen anything. Well. (laughs) So, yeah, here we go again. Okay, so, okay. So, Reno approves the tear gas plan. Mm Mm-hmm. And the FBI has bugs in the compound. Someone, unknown who, is saying nobody comes in here at all. Mm-hmm. No one. So they're not even able to get fire trucks in there. Right. Like, I mean, they, they didn't say the thing about the fire trucks. They just said no, no, and then sh- no one comes near the compound. Schneider, it was Schneider later that says they couldn't even bring in the fire truck because they couldn't get near us. Well, this is all conversation inside the compound. So... So somebody was saying to Schneider, nobody comes in here. They couldn't even bring in fire trucks. And Schneider says that's because they can't even get near us. So they've got them ringed around so much that they don't think that they can, that they'll let fire trucks in. Mm. Okay. All right. So April 18th. All right. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) This is, we're getting there. (laughs) Okay. As as tanks bash a vintage El Camino and Koresh's Camaro. See, that's Which, the real trash. Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> Those are nice cars. <laughs> well, you, but, and you know it's going to tick him off. I mean, oh, there yeah. wasn't any reason to do it except to tick him off. No, Koresh was, okay, I, I don't think either of us mentioned this, but Koresh was in love with his image, like the Camaro, the guitar, right. the, his looks. He had gorgeous, before the raid happened, he had this gorgeous long hair, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. And the so. big, 
the big glasses. And... Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Koresh is angry about the Camaro. And he says, you're going to place this day in the history books as one of the saddest days in the world. Mm-hmm. He says they're destroying evidence and covering up for the ATF, doing wrong before God, before man. See, and like, based on what I've seen, I kind of agree with him on this part, but you know. Well, they were already saying that they were destroying evidence. Yeah, they kept doing it. So that's mm-hmm. he says it was purposeful. <laughs> so the negotiator tells Koresh back he seems to have no concern for anyone but himself. Oh. An FBI bug picks up one of the Davidians saying, what's the latest? And Schneider says, it may be scary. The man quips, you always wanted to be a charcoal briquette. Oh, no. Yeah. I was going to say this part right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this audio was actually released fairly recently. Mm-hmm. And it's showing that they, uh, the ATF... Um, may have started the fire with the tear gas, mm-hmm. but that the Davidians actually laid out hay and gasoline to make it worse. Right. So they were so. getting ready to be burned. So there's nothing was... like a good fire to bring us to earth, somebody mm-hmm. said. Yeah. And then so... Sh- oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. And then Schneider says he looked forward to what he'd do to federal agents as, as the prophecies were fulfilled, adding, wait till I get my scrawny hands on your scrawny neck. I'm coming back. And when I do, you're not going to know where you're going to be able to hide. Oh, my God. Okay. So everybody's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the chief negotiator warns the hostage rescue team commander that the gas plant won't work. Later, he says, I didn't think it would drive the Davidians from the building. I was afraid it would put us in an untenable position where they were going to moving forward that we couldn't retreat from. Yeah, where the hell is the HF going to go? Where yeah. the hell they're going to go? Well, and the other thing is that they, they've, once they've done this, there's no going back. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, dawn of April 19th. The FBI tanks begin ramming the building and spraying in tear gas. Mm-hmm. The Bureau escalates gassing instead of following the gradual insertion plan that the, that the negotiator talked about. Because FBI snipers report seeing gunfire from the compound. Mm-hmm. Minutes later, I'm sorry, minutes after the gassing begins, FBI bugs intercept Davidians discussing spreading fuel on Koresh's orders. Yep. Just before noon, FBI bugs capture talk about starting fires. At 12.07 p.m., the compound begins burning in at least three places. See, okay, this is, this is what makes me believe that definitely it was the Davidians that started the fire because, I mean, that gas could ignite under certain circumstances, but to have it ignite in three different places at the same time is kind of impossible. Like, it's very unlikely that that would happen. And there was a fire survivor, Graham Craddock, that said he heard a fellow sect member say, he yelled out, light the fire, and saw someone pouring fuel on hay bales in the yeah. chapel. Just okay. like you said. See? Yeah. Mm-hmm. More than 70 Divinians die, including s- at least 17 children, mm. including all of Koresh's children. Mm. Koresh, Schneider, and the others die of close-range gunshot wounds. So once they started the fire, they killed themselves. Great. Nine adults survived, including one who brought out a computer disc with Koresh's unfinished 28-page manuscript. Oh, is that the, the manuscript's the one about the seals, right? 
That was, yeah, that was the okay. one he was, he said, I, I'll come out as soon as I'm done with it. So he really was working on it. I mean, right. <laughs> so in the end, 76 people died. Oh. They went through 52 hostage negotiators. And then we talked about the former cult members in Australia pooled their money and hired a private detective, Jeffrey Hasek, to lodge their complaints with authorities. Hasek says he believes authorities will only act if someone was killed. That was before the raid. Right, right. And then the big question is who fired first? We'll see. Okay, that's the big point of contention. Not, not that either party is innocent or solely guilty for this. I'm mm -hmm. not going to say that, but... Um, I mean, considering, I mean, if you look at the history of the Branch Davidians, like, Crush welcomed CPS, he welcomed reporters, he welcomed everybody that came mm -hmm. to the store. I don't see why he wouldn't welcome them. I mean, because, like, for me, it's like, like, if... If I answered the door and someone was there and then all of a sudden I'm getting shot at, of course I'm going to start protecting myself. Because I don't know if you heard, but we recently had this quote-unquote uh, narcotics raid on this house here where like five deputies got killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I did hear about that. Yeah, because they raided a house. They were in plain clothes, didn't announce themselves and just shot these people's dog. So they started shooting at them. Yeah, it's the dog shooting that seems to start a lot of this, doesn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't completely blame the Branch Davidians for wanting to uh, defend themselves. themselves. Right. And I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, no one's solely to blame. No one's, no one's innocent. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, I don't know. I, I fully the way this played out and the history of Koresh with outsiders, because he seems to be the more welcoming out of the cults I read about. But mm -hmm. um, I really think the ATF shot first, just because I don't think Koresh would keep them out because he knew who these investigators were with the ATF and he invited them to come shoot. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he would have complied if they would have handled this differently. Yeah, or at least he wouldn't. They wouldn't have been had a wholesale firefight. Right. Um, the evidence and the testimonies, and and the, we got it from some of the Davidians too. They they believed, they didn't know for sure that somebody from the compound shot first. Hmm. But then there's a rumor that after the fire, the front one of the two front doors or something mm -hmm. along that lines, as I recall, um, had had bullets going in and not out and that door mysteriously disappeared after everybody left. Mm -hmm. But I think that's more rumored than anything else. I, I really do believe that the ATF were fired upon first. Oh, see, I'm the opposite, but, <laughs> but you know, <sighs> the guy that came to the door, they didn't ever say it was Koresh. So it was somebody else. And, um, I mean, I've heard one or two sources say it was Crush because they specifically asked for Crush, mm -hmm. but who knows if he made it to the door by the time that happened or not? Right. So yeah, it could have been Schneider or someone else. Exactly. Now, one of the reasons that you know they they got there at four thirty in the morning, but they didn't actually start anything until around nine, which was which is out of character. But but the reason that they did mm -hmm. that was there was men that were working on digging a pit in the middle of the compound. And when they were in the pit, they didn't have their weapons with them. 
And so the logic was that if we wait until they're already working in the pit, they won't be around their weapons, and we can go up there and just walk in and, and arrest everybody. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. otherwise, they would have done a pre-dawn raid and took, taken everybody by surprise. Mm-hmm. So that was a, I thought that was an interesting decision as well that, that led up to all this, that they didn't, that they thought that they would be going in to unarmed people. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just one of those, like, you hope it never happens again. <laughs> oh, I know. But it's, more than It was likely, a horrible, horrible tragedy, and I think that there was a lot of... With everything going on right now, I could see this happening again is the sad part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. But. Yeah, and I would see probably the same outcome. Yeah. And of course, like, I mean, I was a kid when this happened, obviously. Um, I grew up knowing about this. And as an adult, seeing how media and departments and the government wants things to come out, you know, for the public to know, like Mm -hmm. what perspective to have, you know, it really makes you, it really makes you think like, like, because when I first started researching for this episode, I had this idea of like, you know, like screw the British videos. They were some crazy people, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But after researching and actually digging into it, you realize like, you know, that propaganda that the government put out for the, and the way the media spun this, like you really don't get the full story because they suppressed video evidence, you know, mm-hmm. that put them in any kind of sympathetic light. Um, you know, they, they basically, they basically had a spin job on this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't like that. And you see it all the time with the government now. I can only imagine the kind of, like, if this were to happen again, the kind of, you know, thing the government would do, but. Well, and you look at a situation like this and then you apply it to other situations. Like we have children that are detained right now. Mm-hmm. And what's happening to them? Oh, um, and then we also have the federal government uh, legalizing capital punishment federally again, too. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, yeah. The, and it seems like everybody in this situation was going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. It was like. There was no, there was no like formal game plan that everybody was working toward a common goal. It was like. Well, you know, well, at CPS was doing one thing and the newspaper was doing something else and the local police were doing not a whole lot apparently at the time. And then, you know, the ATF got into it and then the FBI got into it and it was, and then there was infighting amongst the, the law enforcement and, and there was growing craziness inside the compound and and it was all when they sent that guy in that morning the undercover agent Mm -hmm. they said we want you to be there we're going to start at whatever time they started nine o'clock we want you to come out 15 minutes before that and he was going i don't want to do that yeah (laughs) and then he said i don't know if he'll let me leave Probably not. I'd be and he had to come too. up with a he had to come up with an excuse to leave when he did, so that he wouldn't be inside the compound when they started. Wow. So yeah, it was. It's a tragic, tragic situation and with a horrible ending. And you know, there's there's a lot of blame to go around. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when you're in a situation like that, 
you try to make the best decision you can with the information that you have at the time. Right. But I mean, uh, to be fair, though, like they didn't really listen to the people that were giving them information either. Yeah, well, that's true, too. The, yeah, um, the negotiators, uh, you know, I don't know. There's. It seems like law enforcement draws people who have to, some people, who have to dominate. Yep. And, and, <laughs> and that's what was going on with the tactical commanders. They wanted to dominate the situation, get it over with. No, like those alpha personalities, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and then and the negotiators, that was their job to no, slow down. Let's take this easy and see what we can Well, they're the more empathetic of the group. So Yeah, and they're trained too. To exactly, do that. exactly. Well, I think we pretty much covered it all. Yep. As best Is we it, could. I blame we'll put, the ATF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think they had a lot to do with it. But there was yeah. a crazy situation there to begin with, no, too. I mean, like like I said. No one's completely at fault. No one's innocent. So. That's right. That's right. But well, I really appreciate you doing this with me. I had a lot of fun. I had a blast. I cannot <laughs> wait until we can do another episode together. So fun. Yes. So. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. You can uh, check us out at Disaster Tales, of course, and then check out Lindsay at Home on the Strange. Yep, um, we're on every major podcast platform. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Uh, we're hosted on Buzzsprout, um, so you can always check us there. Uh, but we're on everything, even PodCoin, which PodCoin's pretty cool. You can earn points while listening to a podcast. Ooh, neat. Um, oh, yeah, no, it's super awesome. Um, you can find us on Twitter at HomestrangePod. Um, our Gmail is... Uh, home on the strange podcast at gmail.com you can always get in contact with us for episode recommendations uh we're also taking listener paranormal stories because we cover paranormal stuff mostly uh with some history well mostly history but with the paranormal twist to it it's pretty awesome um yeah i could tell you about the two haunted places i stayed awesome yeah shoot us an email no because uh halloween's coming up and i know it seems far away but it's actually going to be here pretty soon so we want some spooky stories for october you can also find us on facebook we have a page there uh i think that's it first oh we have an instagram now um just type in home on the strange podcast you should be able to find us so because my my, yeah sam covers that account so i don't know <laughs> okay. Well, and you can find us on Facebook at Disaster Tales Podcast Fans. Mm-hmm. And you can contact me at Kate at DisasterTales.com. Our website is DisasterTales.com. Mm. Disaster T A L E S, like stories. So I hope to hear from you because we are also wanting to put together a listener episode and talk to us about your disaster experiences. Oh. I got. <laughs> I want to hear it. I know you're in Houston. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, thanks a lot. a lot, Lindsay. I really appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. I had a great time. We hope to join you again pretty soon. Okay. All right. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>